Well, hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. Wherever you are, we are so thrilled that you're inviting us into your place and your space. Uh, we're gonna have a great message today. Before we do that, I just wanna throw a few things out there for you. Uh, if you find what we do here helpful, if this is something that's a part of your spiritual journey that is helping you grow, uh, we'd encourage you, like our page, uh, subscribe to what's happening here. This will get you the latest content when it comes out so that you never miss out on something going on here at Christ Community. One other thing too, uh, if you wanna know more about what we're doing as a church, ways to get connected and involved, go ahead and head over to our website. We got a link down below, but it's cccgreeley.org and you can find out anything and everything you could possibly want to know. Uh, but we hope you enjoy the service. Welcome, so glad all of you are here. Uh, just a little uh, parental reminder, parental guidance. Um, the sermon today and and for the next couple weeks, the sermon topics may be probably more like PG-13. And so just want to let you know about that. Feel free to slip out at any point. Take your children to our children's ministries if you think that would be more appropriate for them. We will do our child blessing later in the service, so you'll have the opportunity to go and get them at that point. I'll explain all that later. We are in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth, a church that was kind of a mess. And one of the areas in which things were getting especially messy was in the area of sexuality. These believers in Corinth were increasingly being influenced by and embracing the sexual narrative of their culture rather than God's narrative. And so Paul spends three whole chapters in this letter directly addressing the issue of sexuality and sexual behavior. So from chapter five all the way through chapter seven. And what he's doing, he's calling these followers of Jesus to align their lives with God's vision of sexuality rather than the world's vision of sexuality. And this obviously applies to us as well in our overly sexualized society that is actively promoting a narrative about human sexuality that is very different than God's vision and narrative regarding sexuality. And so really the key question for them and the key question for us is, is, is this, which narrative are we going to embrace? Our culture's narrative about the meaning and purpose of, of our sexuality or God's narrative regarding the meaning and purpose of our sexuality? Now, look, I realize um, this topic is loaded with triggers and pain and failures and shame and that we desperately need Jesus as we are wading into this passage. We need his forgiveness. We need his grace. We also need his truth. And so I hope and pray that this message fully embodies all of that. That's my heart. Well, today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Here's what Paul writes. I'm going to read the whole section and then we'll unpack it. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This is God's word. So in this passage, Paul highlights two crucial, uh, two uh, specific, I should say, two specific aspects of our culture's narrative regarding sexuality. And then he contrasts that with God's narrative, okay? Two of these. So the first aspect of the narrative of our culture has to do with how we define sexual freedom, how we define sexual freedom. See, the idea of sexual freedom is huge in our culture, right? There is this prevailing attitude that people should have the right to do whatever they want to do with their bodies sexually. And this attitude was surfacing in the church at Corinth. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, Paul begins here by quoting a phrase that the Corinthians had most likely mentioned to him in a previous letter, this idea, I have the right to do anything. See, the Corinthian believers in this church were embracing the idea that because Christ has set us free from the law, we don't have any moral constraints on our behavior. We can do whatever we want to do with our bodies sexually, which is exactly how our society defines sexual freedom. In our culture, sexual freedom is defined as the right to do whatever we want to do sexually, whatever we feel like doing, as long as we aren't breaking any laws. So if a person wants to look up porn or hook up with someone or have sex with multiple partners at a party, go for it. Now, there's a Christianized version of this, which says, God will forgive me anyway. What's the big deal if I indulge in this? Either way, the idea is that we are free to do whatever we feel like sexually, wherever our desires lead. That's the narrative of our culture. So Paul, and the narrative of Corinthian culture. So Paul responds to this cultural definition of sexual freedom by offering a very different definition of sexual freedom. See, from a biblical perspective, freedom is not the ability to do whatever we feel like. No, freedom is the ability to joyfully choose love. See, genuine freedom is the ability to love God and to love others. See, God's narrative for how we are to live our lives and how we are to thrive as human beings is when love is the highest value, a love that places the good of others before our own desires which has a huge impact on how we define sexual freedom. This is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 12, I have the right to do anything. That's the sexual freedom cultural narrative. I have the right to do anything. You say, but Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Now, just two chapters later, Paul repeats this exact same phrase. And then he adds this, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. See, Paul is saying that our freedom to do anything is always governed by a greater value, the value of love. See, Paul urges us to ask this question, is what I am doing beneficial to others? 
Am I seeking the good of others? So, so think about how this definition of freedom, of our, of this, Paul's definition of freedom applies to our culture's definition of sexual freedom. I think of an example like Hugh Hefner, who played a critical role in the sexual revolution, right? By promoting his playboy philosophy of women being objects for men's pleasure. His influence is huge in terms of the cultural acceptability and accessibility of pornography. I mean, his influence is it's huge in what's happening in our culture today. And I'm sure at the time, this was decades ago, I'm sure Hugh Hefner thought he was promoting something good. He was promoting something pleasurable. He was promoting something to be celebrated. But underneath that veneer of goodness is a mountain of unfathomable damage. A Pandora's box of things like children being exposed to porn at a younger and younger age, warping their perspective on sex. It's led to feeding discontent in marriages, leading to disconnection and feelings of rejection and betrayal, sometimes resulting in divorce with innocent children caught in the middle of that. I mean, I read somewhere recently that according to survey of lawyers, this is like, I think pornography is like the second most given reason for divorce, leading to divorce. It's, it, pornography has led to women and men now comparing their bodies to some unrealistic standard and then feeling unacceptable about the way they look or obsessed with improving their, their sex appeal. It's led to a completely self-centered performance view of sex that is devoid of genuine intimacy and connection. It has led to millions, uh, that may be overstated, but it's close, probably hundreds of thousands of porn websites that fuel an addictive pathway that leads to more explicit and exploitive videos in order to get the same high you got before. It just leads down this path of more explicit, more exploitive videos, which, which has led to an increase in sexual abuse, sex trafficking, and rape. I mean, I could go on and on describing all the ways that Hugh Hefner's freedom has left millions and millions of hearts destroyed and broken in its wake. And that's just one example. When sexual freedom is defined by self-centered pleasure, it leads to people being used, rejected, objectified, discarded. All of which are the opposite of love. God's vision for sexuality is rooted in love and focusing on the good of someone else rather than our own pleasure. See, the sexual revolution has ripped sexuality from that purpose and we are reaping the negative consequences in heart-wrenching ways. Now, Paul mentions another one of those consequences in the second part of verse 12. Look at this. He says, again, I have the right to do anything, sexual freedom according to our culture, but, Paul says, in response, I will not be mastered by anything. See, one of the biggest ironies 
of our society's pursuit of sexual freedom is the number of people who are now in bondage to their sexual desires. They can't stop. So what began as a simple pursuit of pleasure has now become their master, secretly ruling from the basement of their soul. I mean, I I know from past experience how porn does this. One Google search quickly leads to, um, to hours or even days of secrecy, more and more explicit images, vid- images and videos, and a complete loss of any ability to stop the downward spiral. So we find ourselves caught in a vortex of being driven by immediate pleasure, and at the same time hor- so horrified by the power this suddenly has over us, <laughs> and then feeling such shame. It is like a, it is a perfect storm, a perfect imperfect storm. Shame, our own desire, and then the side of this that begins to control us. It's frightening. And let me just tell you, that is not sexual freedom. It's not sexual freedom. That's sexual bondage. I wonder when, if ever, our society is going to wake up and realize the sexual freedom that we have so earnestly been pursuing is actually robbing us of freedom. When are we going to see that? That it's actually robbing us of the capacity to love. And instead, it's placing us in greater bondage to our insatiable desires, which is not a good path to be on. It's exactly what Paul describes in Romans 1, where where as we pursue our own sexual desires, Paul says that God gives us over to those desires. That's the phrase he uses. He gives us over to those desires. In other words, God says, okay, if that's what you want, And then he lets us reap the consequences of a loss of freedom, which is a terrifying thing. We can't stop choosing certain behaviors, even as we watch them destroy all that we hold dear. Our relationships, our capacity and desire to love, our own sense of freedom and worth, all of that taken from us because of choices we are freely choosing to make. Again, that's not freedom. It's not freedom. We desperately need to open our eyes and recognize where our culture's definition of sexual freedom is taking us. And the question is, which definition of freedom are we going to pursue and embrace? A freedom that is rooted in and fueled by love or a freedom that robs us of our capacity to love? Okay, so the first thing Paul talks about here, um, he exposes our, our cultural's, culture's narrative of sexual freedom and how different God's vision of sexual freedom is. The second striking contrast between the sexual narrative of our culture and the sexual narrative God offers us has to do with how we view our physical body. One of the prevalent philosophies in that culture and also in ours is something called dualism. So dualism is a philosophy, and the basic idea of dualism is the idea that our physical body and our soul are completely separate. 
which means under dualism's philosophy, it means that we can do whatever we do with our physical body doesn't impact our soul. Okay, that's dualism. Look what Paul says, verse 13. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. See, Paul is most likely he's quoting something that they had said to him in a previous letter that reflects this dualistic philosophy that our physical bodies don't matter. Our our stomachs and food, they're just going to be destroyed anyway. So it's this idea that our physical bodies don't matter. They'll be destroyed. So if that's the case, we can do whatever we want with our physical bodies. and, And that doesn't have any impact on our soul. So sleep with whoever you want. Look at whatever you want. Do whatever you want sexually with your body because it is separate from your soul. But is it? I came across a powerful extended quote from a Catholic author named Melinda Salmas who has written on sexuality and theology. She she writes this. Underneath the pop and fizzle of sexual enthusiasm lies a fundamental despair. This seems counterintuitive. Surely the sexual revolution is about the celebration of the body. Yet beneath all the pageantry of free sex and self-love, there is a fundamental belief that the body doesn't mean anything, that it is insignificant. You can do anything you like with it. You can give it away to strangers. You can give it away to anyone for any reason. It's just sort of a machine, a tool you can use in exchange for whatever purpose suits your fancy. She says, in order to believe this, you must either accept A, that your body is not you, it's just a shell, or B, that there is no such thing as human value or dignity. It's just a nice pretense we make because we're terrified of the senseless and nihilistic universe. See, she's identifying a profound irony in our culture's celebration of our sexual body, right? (laughs) Culture's celebration of the sexual body. In our culture's celebration of the body, we end up turning it into a machine that actually has no value or dignity. But Salmas also offers a different perspective, an alternative story in which our bodies and our souls are intricately linked and connected and valued. Later in the same article, she writes this, ironically, Christianity stands alone among the host of modern philosophies declaring that man is a unified, complete being composed of both a mind and a free will with a mind with a free will and a body all of which has dignity and meaning see in god's narrative she's saying our body and our soul are valued and they are connected so this is the story this is the narrative that paul articulates in response verse 13 After the whole stomach be destroyed, all that. This is what he says. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. See, Paul's point is that our bodies are not meaningless. Our bodies are not our own to do with as we want. Our bodies belong to the Lord. They are his. Our bodies are created for him which is why any form of sexual immorality doesn't align with that. See, sometimes it's kind of 
whatever. It's, it's, it's sort of funny, but it's not. Sometimes, especially in our culture, we forget, you know, Pornhub didn't invent sex. God invented sex. And he created it for a purpose. It is an amazing gift within the, within the confines of a covenantal committed union called marriage. It is a powerful way for a husband and a wife who have committed themselves to each other for life to express and solidify that love and that commitment and also to procreate and establish a family. I mean, sex is an amazing and beautiful soul connecting experience to be celebrated within that context of self-giving love and commitment. That's what it was designed for. As Paul says a few verses later, quoting from Genesis 2, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. That's God's design and desire for sexuality. It is an expression of committed love between two people who have entered into a covenant for life. It is a beautiful and holy, a soul, a soul and body unifying experience of love. Now contrast that with our society's view of sex, that sex is just play for grownups. A video recently put out by the Children's Television Network and widely used in sex education classes. Here's how the, the video defines sexual intercourse. As something done by two adults to give each other pleasure. No mention of marriage, of family, of love, of commitment. No mention that sex has a deeper purpose than mutual gratification. See, that's the narrative our culture is embracing and promoting everywhere. It has removed sex from its original and beautiful purpose and design. And look, we all know what happens when we try to take a tool that was meant for something else and you would try to change the purpose of it. When we try to use a screwdriver as a hammer, usually doesn't end, end well. Or our, we try to use our fingernail as a screwdriver. You know, it ends up often damaging the tool because it wasn't designed for that. God created sex for a beautiful, life-giving, soul-connected, love-uniting purpose. But the Corinthians had lost sight of that purpose. Verse 15, do you, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, notice the argument Paul is making here. His argument is so much more than, stop doing that. Stop doing that with your, you know, whatever, body. Stop. His argument is so much more than stop doing that. Paul's argument is connected to the soul. Paul is saying that sex is designed to be a soul unifying experience, which means that, our, that, that it means that soul ties are created between people who engage with each other sexually, even if they don't know each other. Like what Paul mentions specifically here, someone having sex with a prostitute, which happened frequently in that culture as men would visit the temple of Aphrodite and pay to have sex with a, a priestess. See, Paul's point is that that sexual encounter is so much deeper than two people having fun together. There is a spiritual soul connection that happens. Two people become one. 
so Paul is saying, look, you are united with Christ. You are a member of his body. You are one with him spiritually. So in light of that, why take your body and unite it with a prostitute? Now, this wasn't just a Corinthian issue. I just saw a statistic that 14% of men in America have paid for sex. We can use our phones to arrange hookups with strangers, sex cams, sex chats, escort services, you name it. And our society says, so what? No big deal. Use sex however you want to bring your body pleasure. And Paul says, no, no, no. Don't you realize that your body is worth so much more than that? Your body is a member of Christ himself. Your body belongs to the Lord. So why, Paul asks, would we take this body that Jesus has purchased with his blood and that is in union with him and that one day will be resurrected with him? Why take that body and unite it sexually with anyone we're not married to? Why why would we connect our soul in that way? See, the, 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 this language of sexual soul connection alludes to another purpose of sexuality from God's perspective. And this one is also totally foreign to our culture's view of sexuality. So look again at what Paul says, verse 17. For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Notice how Paul is using sex as, a, as an analogy for our relationship with God. See, the gift of sexual union between a husband and wife is actually a signpost pointing to something even more substantial, union with God. See, God never intended sex to be the be-all and end-all of our existence, even though that's what our society often affirms. Oh, if you haven't had sex, you haven't lived. What a, what a joke, I mean, what a complete lie. Paul never had sex. Daniel never had sex. Jesus never had sex. Are we saying they are less than because they hadn't been in bed with a woman? I mean, sex is a gift from God for the purpose. It's for the covenant of marriage. And as such, it is a signpost that points us to what we were ultimately created for. It's a signpost that points us to our ultimate union with God. See, listen up. The world thinks that Bible-believing Christians have a low view of sex, that we're diminishing sex with all the boundaries that we put around it. But the truth is the world has a low view of sex as something to be used for selfish pleasure no matter who gets hurt. The Bible offers us an incredibly high view of sex a holy, loving expression of union that points toward the ultimate union we all long for, an eternal union with our creator whose love satisfies the ultimate longing of our hearts. God's vision for our sexuality is amazing and beautiful and holy do we, do we see how Paul's words here are so much more than some religious command to keep your pants on until marriage? 
I mean, honestly, I feel like the big C church has often fumbled the ball in responding to the sexual narrative of our culture. You kind of freak out and we could, I think we've fumbled the ball so often because in response to our culture's narrative, we, we offer this view of sexuality that's little more than rule keeping and avoidance. And then when you get married, flip the switch on, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a view of sexuality that's just a little more than rule keeping and avoidance rather than elevating and promoting the beautiful vision God has for our sexuality. See, Paul wants us to see God's heart and God's vision for sexuality and why it matters to choose to align our sexuality with his narrative rather than our culture's narrative. Why, from a holistic perspective, it totally makes sense to choose God's way, even when it means saying no to certain things that our friends are saying yes to, even when it means being laughed at by the world or breaking off a dating relationship that's become sexual. And it's hard, it's hard, but it's worth it. Pursuing God's vision for our sexuality is worth it. So here's the key question for all of us in this room, no matter how old or young, no matter what gender or gender, no matter what our sexual experiences in our past, no matter what sexual relationships or activities we're currently involved in, no matter what sexual desires we experience or wrestle with, regardless of all that, here's the question. This passage is urgently asking each one of us, are we willing, starting today, to allow the spirit of God to shape our sexual choices as we surrender our bodies and our souls to him? Or are we gonna let ourselves be swept along in the sexual narrative that our culture offers? I mean, look, I'm not gonna sugarcoat this. Following Jesus with our sexuality in this culture is a radical difficult, challenging thing to do. And it has always been this way. We, we aren't unique in the pressures we face. You know, the Greco-Roman culture of Corinth was most likely even more sexually promiscuous than our culture. So it will not do to rationalize that we have it way worse than other followers of Jesus over the centuries. Who can expect Christ followers to live sexually holy lives in a culture like ours? God does. Not only does he desire for this for us, he is the one who enables it to happen. This is critical. It's not just that he's giving us some rules to follow. He is the one that enables this to happen. He sent Jesus to give his life in order to purchase our freedom. And he sent his Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us to courageously live holy lives. And listen, friends, your past sexual failures don't define you. And they are not too big for the blood of Jesus to forgive and to cleanse. Bring it to the cross. Bring them to the cross and leave it there. And then begin anew, offering yourself and your sexuality to God. Lean into your relationship with Jesus experiencing in deeper ways the union that Paul describes at the end of this passage. I mean, look, no sexual experience can ever compare to experience the experience of living in intimate union with the God who created you and who loves you and who has amazing purposes in store for you. Nothing can compare to that. All right, let's, let's stand. 
as we respond, we open our hearts to respond to the Lord. And what we do in this, in this part, we stand just to kind of call our bodies to attention again. <laughs> and in a moment, I'm going to pray an ancient prayer, this come Holy Spirit, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And as we do that, we're just going to remain in silence for maybe a minute or so. And what we're doing, this is nothing weird. What we're doing, we're simply opening our hearts to God right where we are, right in this moment. And whatever he would want to say to us personally, whatever he would want to do in us personally, this is this, the, your body, your soul, this is where heaven and earth meet, <laughs> right here. Heaven and earth meet when we open our hearts to God and say, yeah. What are you saying? Holy Spirit, come. So let's open our, our, um, our hearts to him. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Things you've been speaking, and now we say, Holy Spirit, come. We open our hearts to whatever you would want to do or say to us. Come, Holy Spirit. So as we're waiting on the Lord, I want to invite us to respond. A couple of things that are on my heart. One, um, this just came to me. It's not um, because we have a song planned related to this, which we do, but it's not for that. I really feel like the Lord, this theme of water, this theme of like a river, the river of God flowing. And it's powerful and it's loving and it's healing and it's, it's full of forgiveness and grace. And I, I just, I, I feel like there's an invitation and in our failures, our shame, just to step into this river of God's presence and his life. And so I want to invite you to open your heart to that. If you need to confess sexual sin, confess it and let his river, it's not a trickle, this is Niagara Falls, this is river, this is waterfall, this is just let Jesus forgive it and sweep it away, just let it flow down the river so you're not carrying it any longer. Just receive his forgiveness.
Yeah, the other um, just invitation is um, kind of related to that. This, there's something about consecrating ourselves. It's a kind of a spiritual word that just, but it, it just means offering, setting ourselves apart for the Lord. And I just feel like there's a, there's a moment here, a holy moment where we can offer our bodies and our souls. We offer ourselves to God, not to these other things. We are, we are offering them to God. And so I want to invite you in this place to do that, just to offer your whole self to God. Stood in the quiet of your heart. God, we consecrate ourselves to you. We offer our physical bodies, our sexual, the sexual parts of our bodies. We offer our minds, our eyes to you, Lord. We offer our whole being to you. Thank you for purchasing us with your blood. I thank you that we are united with you. We love you, God. We love you. And we welcome you, Lord, as this, the worship team leads in this next song. We this, Just in response, let's just let this be a place where we're welcoming the river of God's presence here to do what he wants. I'll come back up and explain the whole child blessing, so don't worry, you don't need to get your kids now. This is just, this is Jesus time, okay? This is just, what is he doing? So as the worship, as the song is going on, feel free, just open your heart to the Lord, wherever you're at. Holy Spirit, come, we love you. Thank you. Before you go, we just want to remind you that, as always, we are here with you. We're here for you. And so coming out of this message, whatever you're thinking about, or even aside from this message, whatever is going on in your life, we just want to remind you that you can submit your prayer requests or questions or reach out. We would love to talk with you pray for you. So again, you can go on our website and there's a chat box. There's always somebody there to talk with you or you can submit prayer requests. So please know that you're not alone and we would be honored to just do this together with you as you're growing your spiritual journey. So thanks for this time and have a blessed day.